celebrating 40 years of music, community, and green initiatives. Book your musical island getaway from July 28th to the 30th. Set in a beautiful conservation area with campgrounds on Guelph Lake. Hillside Festival features over 70 artists including Bedouin Soundclash, Luna Lee, and a very special finale with Choir, Choir, Choir. Be a part of one of Canada's most eco-friendly and progressive music festivals. Get your weekend passes now at hillsidefestival.ca slash tickets before prices increase on July 1st. From the roots up, CIUT 89.5 FM, Toronto. Well, hello and welcome to the Radical Reverend Show here on CIUT FM 89.5 on your dial. I'm Christine Smaller. I'm the temp here at Rad Rev. And we'll be speaking to the original Rad Rev, Sherry DeNovo, a little bit later in the show. But today, wow, wow, it is June 27th, the morning of June 27th in Toronto. And there was an election last night. And we're going to talk later on, a little bit later on, about how that election, the results are going to impact all sorts of things in this city. But first, I want to introduce someone, introduce you all to someone very special. Uh, Riley Mormon is the producer, the amazing producer on this show, long-suffering, I would say, in, uh, in you thinking of Stuart McLean and his producers. And Riley is a student here at U of T, a student in history, and he has a special interest in student revolutions and is knowledgeable about all sorts of things. Riley, hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, so I currently have a show in production that should have its first episode up in the next couple of weeks. Oh, tell us more about it. Oh, uh, so this show is about student revolutions in history and connecting those issues into current issues on our campus today. Oh, This being fantastic. the U of T campus, but applicable everywhere. Wow, that's great. And we're going to have a sneak preview of that show next Tuesday, July 4th, right? You're going to be my guest here, yes, or we're we going to co-host the show, and we're going to talk about all things student revolution. What uh, Can you give us a few highlights that we'll be, we'll be learning about? A few highlights would be talking about the 1968 student revolutions, which changed the government in actually about 20% of the world's countries were completely overthrown. The wow. 2011 Arab Spring, which was initially led as a student protest, and the 1917 Russian Revolution, which was, again, a student protest. Wow. Oh, well, we're going to look forward to hearing all about that. So the election last night, we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but just just to, t just to touch on it now, what do you think? Was it a revolution? I wouldn't classify it more <laughs> as a revolution as a slow progression in the right direction. Oh, nice. Maybe like just... That putting the brakes on going headfirst down a hill. <laughs> right, right. And were you surprised by the results? Oh, not at all. No. That's, I, think the, I think if you were paying closely attention, it was clear that it was going to be a much closer race than it was portrayed to be right. for a lot of it. Right. Like having three candidates evenly split the vote on the conservative side just wasn't going to happen. Right. And unfortunately, I think there's a good chance they'll learn from that next time. Right, and yeah. And just put one candidate forward. So why did Olivia win? 
That's a great question. I think there is a lot of nostalgia for Jack Layton. For sure. And for and, her, too, back in the 90s. She was a dynamo, has always been a dynamo. And she's been very involved in community outreach. And yeah. she still teaches at, like, TMU. And she's still very involved in the Toronto community. I think there's... Yeah. I, I think it was, like... that. I think it was pretty clear she was going to win from the get-go. Yeah, and I remember, you know, working on her campaigns back in the 90s that... Um, that she was always known as the best organizer in the world. She could organize elections like nobody could, and she could, she could really inspire and motivate uh, campaign volunteers to get out there and pull the vote for sure. And I know I don't know about you, but I must have got about maybe forty or fifty calls from her campaign office <laughs> over the last few weeks, uh, which I did not mind at all. Uh, but it just showed the powers of. Of, of her organizing skills and the way that oh. she can really move crowds. Oh, absolutely. I think she's she was by far the best of all the candidates in being an experienced politician and organizer. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in the second half of the show. But today we're talking about things related to PFLAG, uh, an organization that we're going to hear a little bit more about um, in a few minutes. And what I wanted to start with here was this, you know, there's a whole bunch of conflict, almost violent conflict in some of the Catholic school board meetings in April um, and earlier. And a lot of this had to do, I mean, the focal point was raising the flag, the progressive flag. Um, but a lot of it had to do with this, uh, this, these textbooks called Fully Alive textbooks, which the Catholic school boards use uh, to teach students from grade one to grade five, or to grade eight, about sexuality, marriage, and family through the lens of the Catholic faith. So these books have actually been discontinued in paper production, but they continue online, and the Catholic boards around the province are still going to use them. So, Riley, I wanted to ask, what kind of... So how many years are you out from from high school? I'm only two years out from high school. Okay, so tell me your experience with sex ed back in the day. My experience, now this isn't in Ontario, this okay. is in Alberta, which surprisingly, based on what I've heard, actually has a more comprehensive sexual education oh, than wonderful. Ontario does, which is shocking because for at least <laughs> four or five years, it would be a one or two day thing a year, and right. I know because... In grade eight, I was sick, and I missed the entire sex ed unit. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. So how? what kind of incredible delay did that uh, have on you as a, as a social and sexual person? Well, you know, I do think it's <laughs> had me back a couple of... No, uh, it's, it was much more of... I find the, edu the education system now is much more saying terms and then expecting you to research it on your own. Okay. Which is not what school should be for right. elementary through up to junior high and high school kids. Right. So just saying terms like? Like if they were just talking about like sex and they would talk about the action and it was all very theoretical. Right. In a, and they would say like consent. Consent's Im consent is important and this is when it's happened. But they would never discuss situations in which consent could be questioned. Right. Yeah. Right. And they so do you remember how you and your classmates received that information we were very flippant about it and i'm still <laughs> quite flippant about it um in the fact that it was a very very bare bones education and everyone in my school knew that you just had to search it up on your own time right which is not the purpose of sexual education unfortunately and 
a lot of it wasn't actually based around sexual education, but rather trying to get people comfortable with the idea that sex ed could be taught in schools at all. Oh, interesting. Which is like, I, I understand that it's a step towards it, but so much of it was just about hugging your friends. Even, like, if they said no, then you can't hug your right. friends. I've seen the uh, tea video about consent maybe 30 times in my life. Oh, all tell of them us about and, that. Oh, it's the, it's the famous video of consent of, if somebody asks you if you want tea and you say no, and they still give you tea. You didn't consent. Oh, so it's the tea video. <laughs> I thought that was short for something. Tea, right. Yeah. So that's a that's a rather unfortunate analogy, it sounds. Yeah, it just wasn't super helpful. And unfortunately, almost 100% of the sexual education was focused on heterosexual sexual right. relations. And about zero, except for a small disclaimer at the end that said, oh, and if you're gay, have fun. Bye. <laughs> Um, was spent on actually talking about queer sex. Right. And it was really unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I remember back in the day when sex ed, I'm thinking grade seven, we had we had a week of it. And the girls and the boys, because uh, there was no other possibility of sexuality, the girls and the boys were separated. And the girls were given a little sort of pink box that had some sanitary pads with uh, belts in them. And we watched a video about how to hook up those those belts so that we could wear the sanitary pads. And then we watched a video, um, essentially, which was about how girls should never call boys on the telephone for dates. <laughs> and it was very unhelpful, I would say. I would say. Okay, so I wanted I want to read you some of the material that's in these fully alive textbooks, not sex books, textbooks. Um, the first one is that the male brain and the female brain are very different. And so people are very different. Men and women are very different. Yikes. Yeah. So this is being taught, like, right, well, I guess school's out now, but this is being taught this year. Yeah. So what, in your experience, did you hear anything like that when you were doing sex ed? Oh, not at all. This was, again, a publicly funded school and oh catholic schools are publicly funded sorry for this sure was, sorry this was a public school <laughs> um we'll talk about the public funding of private institutions yeah, yeah. later but this was a public school in a city of like a million and a half so it was it wasn't negative in any way right it's it was just not positive it was incredibly <laughs> neutral. neutral yeah everyone was very ambivalent vanilla it's all about vanilla sex yeah. is that what you're saying that's that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying, actually. Oh, man. Um, and then they do. There is a few paragraphs on homosexuality, uh, just homosexuality. And one of the main points that they make is that it's around two percent of the population that are homosexual. Um, and some students who went through this program who fact-checked for the grade nine project or something, they fact-checked these textbooks, um, found that that is very, very untrue. So they found, what would you say the percentage of the population is queer? I actually read an article about this recently. Um, obviously, it depends country to country. You're not, the percentage is going to be zero in Uganda. Right. Um, not, the, not the percentage of of people who are yeah. queer but who are able to identify as queer able to identify the most recent one i read was about 15 to 20 percent yeah so that's what a lot of the 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 research shows from 
from early 2000s to the present that it's about 20%. Um, these are American statistics, most of these, but 20% of Americans, uh, which means millions and millions and millions of Americans who identify as queer. But the a very recent study from the U.S. National Bureau of Economic Research um, showed that in Gen Z, it's higher. So what would you say, would the population of Gen Z identify as queer? Based on the people that I know, and I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised about this, because this is the true statistic. It's just that we're not as afraid, and we have more of an open space. I wouldn't say we're not as afraid, but we have more of an open space. Right. And there's more unconditional acceptance. Um, based on the people I know, I'd put it probably 40%, maybe 50%. Yeah, so they 34% yeah, was that, the findings in this, and that's across America. So, which is very different, yeah, and maybe not as accepting in a lot of American cities. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Friends, if you're just joining us, we are here on the Radical Reverend Show at CIUT FM 89.5 on your dial. I'm Christine Smaller. I'm sitting in for the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo for the next couple of months. And today I have a wonderful guest, Riley Mormon, who's also the producer of this show. Okay, now I'm going to read you a paragraph from the letter that was sent out to all the parents of the Catholic School Board. And I want you to imagine being a parent. Uh, imagine being a parent. <laughs> okay. At school, the students will be discussing modesty and the importance of respect for the gift of sexuality by the way they speak, dress, and act. Unfortunately, these students are exposed to many examples of disrespect for sexuality, especially in the media. When the opportunity comes up, such as watching together television programs and commercials, it is important that you discuss this issue with your child and emphasize the need for respect for oneself as a girl or as a boy. Good Lord. I know this is not the program to say this, but no, good, no. Yeah, this is the program this, to pray, pray yeah. for sanity, <laughs> pray for safety, pray for you know revolution, maybe. Yeah. Oh, when I think about Jesus wow. reading this, um, oh, I, I am reminded of his his time in the temple with the whip. He actually made a whip and started yeah. whipping people. He would go insane, um, not in a sexual way, as far as we know from the text, but um, yeah. So, what do you say? That's that's. Are you surprised? Let me ask you first. Are you surprised that that letter went out to presumably hundreds of thousands of households? I am surprised, but that's more of a lack of experience with anything other than public schools, right? Um, but these it, are people that you would know. I mean, yeah. I mean, we don't want to. We definitely don't want to other yeah, it's, anybody, it's, right? This, We're not here to other Catholics or in any way to disrespect the you know Catholic people and their faith. But these are people who, I mean, we're not talking about a segregated, you know, religious society that has chosen to, you know, follow only their own rules and, and um, you know, hide, not hide away, but to segregate themselves from, from modern influences. I think that makes it more surprising. Right. Is, is that it's just like this letter reads like it's from the 19... 60s yeah in southern america well it's interesting because in the 60s with vatican ii it might not have even happened 
Like this is when, you know, Vatican II is when uh, the Catholic Church really liberalized a lot of their their uh, beliefs and their actions and their engagement with the world. Um, but then, of course, that was rolled back uh, later on. Yeah, but So, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, it's horrifying that people younger than me, because I'm still a very young person, but people younger than me are being read that and expected to adhere to the principles outlined in that. Yeah. So, and as an academic, I'm always interested in defining terms. <laughs> uh, and so what do you think modesty means? I mean, because it's not only that they're just using this word haphazardly, they are charging parents with the mission to teach their children the importance of modesty. So what, what does that mean? I think modesty is one of those words that's used as a weapon when you don't like something and you can't find the words to say it. You say, oh, that's immodest. Right. It doesn't mean anything. And I find a lot of the time people can't really say why they don't like it. They just, or if they do say it, it is blatantly sex negative and homophobic a lot of the time. It's just, it's one of those words where it's so broad that it gives the power to anyone to mean it, say it means anything towards anyone. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I think we see this in the in the right um in the moderate right, and especially in the extreme right, where they're using terms that cannot be de defined. They do not have boundaries. They do not have criteria that are specific enough so that an evaluation can be made against that criteria to determine whether or not something, for example, is modest or not modest. I mean, we're seeing that in politicians all the time using words um, without any definition. And it is weaponized. And it means that there's so much power in those who are given the authority to determine whether something is modest or not. Yeah, especially in schools. Where especially like, in schools. My school had a dress code that was not enforced at all. But I know in a lot of schools, like even in my area, those dress codes could be strictly enforced. And if you're talking about modesty and it's something that you've set as an expectation for your classroom, principals and teachers have a massive amount of just inherent authority over students. It's just the way our school system set up, students will very often respect that and just treat it as ingrained authority. And the way of the world, yeah. right? They're, they're being trained, they're being indoctrinated about the way of the world. So much explicit and implicit authority. And I've been watching the news about what's been coming out in North Carolina, but their, the school system there had a uh, dress code uh, girls, girls, um, any, anyone except cisgender males could not wear uh, skirts or could not wear pants, excuse me, could not wear pants. So only cisgender boys could wear pants. No one else was allowed to wear pants. Girls could not wear pants. And it ended up going to the Supreme Court of Canada. The, the judgment just came down yesterday, I think. So this, and forgive me if it's not the Supreme Court, but it was a higher court. And they have determined that girls indeed can wear pants. So we say we're living in a world where, I mean, that I don't think that was a Catholic school system, but we're living in a world where people have to take court, pay, take to the Supreme Court, the highest court in the, in the country, to give the right to girls to wear pants. Yeah, the fact that that has to be said at all, maybe we should rewrite our constitution right now and say that anyone is allowed to it. wear any clothes that they want. Absolutely. It's what else would we put into the Constitution? Can we take, can we take uh, what's his name out of it, Charlie? 
That's a would that be possible? Okay, we're we're <laughs> off off topic right now. Okay, what else would you put in the Constitution, Riley? Oh, so many things I would put in the Constitution. <laughs> I I think our Constitution is kind of a mess, okay. which is yeah. shocking given how recently it was developed. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's it's something, and just the lack of protection for this is just going back to the topic. Yeah. Um, the lack of protection for students um it makes me really sad and there's there's no independent oversight at all like the most you would ever find is one a couple parents read that email get upset talk to this student parent association or the uh, school parent association um and get shut down like oh yeah it's yeah absolutely it's ridiculous and it just it makes we me need to change things. We, we need we do, do need, need a revolution. Okay, yeah. so we're going to have to table that. We'll talk about the revolution next week. Maybe we'll plan. Are we going to plan it? Are we looking for volunteers? Okay, we'll talk about that <laughs> before our next show. But we're going to take a quick musical break here. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll I'll be introducing our next guest, who is the president of PFLAG in York Region. Trouble so hard, don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Ooh, Lord, trouble so hard. Ooh, Lord, trouble so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm Christine Smaller, and I'm so delighted to, to introduce our next guest. Tristan Kuhlman is the president of PFLAG in the York region and does tons of volunteer work and has been doing so for years. And if you can I read your Twitter bio? Would that be all right? <laughs> sure. Because I think I think you have the best Twitter bio I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, Tristan Kuhlman, he, him, President P, President P. Flag, Flag York Region, Rainbow Mafia leader, according <laughs> to the Nigerian Voice, queer activism, hockey, politics, love this, pro wrestling, mm-hmm. and Trey Gay. 
Welcome, Tristan. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, it, it, uh, that's a little sobering now because now I realize my Twitter is actually that public and people can see it uh, when I think things are just an inside joke to myself. <laughs> right, right. Well, actually, I looked up the article because I wanted to see what the Nigerian voice was saying. Um, so they published an article on June 2nd about, you know, pride demonstrations, activists, queer activist demonstrations in Canada. They were talking about the Catholic school board and what was going on. Um, and so they said that your Rainbow Mafia are weaponizing ideology against a religious institution, um, which I found so interesting for so many reasons. Uh, so I did want to ask you right off the top, is the Catholic school board a religious institution? Because it's publicly funded, it's governed by you know the, the provincial education regulations. So talk to me about that. Yeah, you know... Um to me, I, I think it is still a religious institution because, uh, it, like, it's just in our constitution back in the day, 1867. We'll go back a little bit in history. Sure. You know, it, it is a constitutional right, uh, you know, at least, you know, there to have, uh, you know, Protestant churches, at least in Quebec at the time, and then Catholic here in Ontario. And uh, it, they still, I think, would like to see themselves as a religious institution because through education, they're looking to um, to provide an environment and an educational experience through Catholic values, right? And I think the last couple of months in York Region in particular, we've seen um, that there's a lot of different perspectives when it comes to Catholic values. That's Some, right. And uh, I think uh, depending on what you see it as, you know, clearly the Nigerian Forest thinks we're weaponizing our experiences and lived experiences against religious institutions, but I tend to see it the other way around sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as a minister, um, I very, you know, many, many times over the years, I've had families come to me and ask for a copy of their baptismal certificate because they want to send their child to Catholic school. So they've been baptized in the United Mm. Church, but for whatever reasons, they choose to send their their children. And um, so I say to them, you do not need to show proof of baptism or of any religious faith in order to be eligible to send your child to a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, but the schools out there are telling them that. And I've often had to get on the phone with principals, priests even, um, pointing to the legislation. So I really see there's, there is a, definitely a mindset that they are separate from the rest of the education community. Yeah, and at this point, uh, I think in society, and there's starting to be a little bit more momentum around this, I think you've got to have folks out there who are challenging that thought. When folks are trying to get around the law, in this case in particular, uh, and uh, are, diff- are several you know, different types of human rights charters and legislations that we have in Ontario, let alone in Canada, uh, you've got to have people who are willing to be out there to challenge, and that's what we've been trying to do at PFLAG. And uh, I think it's important for people just to be educated about their rights. You know, you don't, again, to your point, you don't have to uh, be baptized as a Catholic to attend a Catholic school, and there's been different things in particular that have happened in York Region where uh, that school board does try to impose restrictions yeah. even within um, uh, for, you know, for teachers, staff experiences yeah. for yeah. staff. Uh, there was a, a trustee a couple years ago who wanted to run a, stu- a student trustee who um, was first denied the right to run because they weren't Catholic and that got overturned. So, uh, you know, when you try to kind of put faith first within that context that excludes people, you know, I think we're starting to see a history build up of, you know, it's just not acceptable in society and doesn't hold up when it comes to human rights. Absolutely. And I do want to stop right here and say, like, you know, Catholic people are among the most progressive Mm -hmm. 
activists um, in the world. And I've never known anyone more radical than some of the Catholic nuns that I have met who dedicated their life to um, make the world inclusive, who send the message all the time that every one of us is made in God's image without exception. And any religious uh, suggestion that it is otherwise is is wrong. Absolutely. So I just want to read something else that was in that article, sure. uh, just because it really got to me. Conservatives must pray for their brethren in Canada who are being ruthlessly persecuted by supposed enlightened souls blinded by lust and insatiable <laughs> ambition for the enthronement of a highly godless agenda. Um, you know, so where do you want to start? I'll start with highly godless. <laughs> highly godless, brethren, <laughs> lust. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, when I read that article, the first thing I did was laugh. Um, it, and, and not because of where it's coming from, but because of just this, the, um, it, this is what the power of misinformation and, um, you know, just a lack of education and a lack of exposure to different types of people and communities and lived experiences. When you cut off the conversation from people and you're not willing to introduce other perspectives into your life that's where a lot of this misinformation comes from and uh my first reaction and my still my reaction (laughs) is to laugh at that because well i guess that does describe me in a way personally (laughs) but also you know that's uh, a very skewed uh, point of view to look at as well um we're not trying to uh get people to kind of renounce their faith or anything like that and that's that's never what p-flag has been about we've been trying to bring people from all sorts of communities together and to understand how you can support queer folks within their lived experiences and also families and and elsewhere so um you know I don't really know what to say to that other than to laugh. That's just my reaction because it's just so outrageous. It, uh, it, it makes me laugh every single time. Though when I, was, when I saw that article, I was actually at work uh, when I got the notification on my phone just for like a news alert. And then uh, I was sharing it with my coworkers and they were all getting like super upset, which I love because they're yeah. just so supportive. But I just couldn't help but laugh. And that's when the Twitter bio changed and all that, you know. Um, it, with things like that, you just got to have a sense of humor. You know, you got to continue the fight. You got to be vigilant, you know, about issues like that, because there will be people here in Canada, especially in York Region, who will be emboldened by something like that and by those words and um, be um, motivated to continue to act. And we see that even up to this week, there's been some issues in York Region. Um, but uh, you've also got to have, you know, a lighthearted sense of humor about it, because if you're not, as you're undertaking this fight, yeah, you know, it's very easy for it to impact your mental health. And we're just trying to do our best in the world. And that's the way that I see it. Yeah, and I mean, laughter is very subversive, right? I mean, there's a whole, you know, I'm doing a PhD on how humor is politically subversive, uh, using Jesus as an example. Uh, But we can have a a whole show on that sometime. Yeah, so do you want to tell me a little bit about what's been going on? And then I I really want to hear about, we've been hearing so much about the wonderful Pride events that took place in Toronto. But a little bit about, you know, how Pride is important outside of a big city like Toronto. Yeah, um, just the last few months in New York region alone, really the um, the the spotlight has really been on the community a lot more lately, simply because of the actions or the 
Uh, the items that have happened at your Catholic District School Board, it all started uh, with the uh, with the teachers union uh, creating new safe space stickers and distributing it out to their members. Uh, and some folks, most of them being okay with it, others, uh, you know, a loud but small dissenting voice either didn't know what to do with them or didn't feel comfortable posting that uh, in their classrooms. And I think there's, I think there's a lot to dig into that issue alone, but uh, it, a lot of parents were really upset about it and directed that towards the school board when it really wasn't them at the time. So the parents in the Catholic school board, you mean? Yes. So we want to just say a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, um, so it was, uh, this was first brought up at their school board meeting, uh, the, the York Catholic School Board meeting in February, uh, and uh, there were a lot of dissenting voices uh, from parents, some delegations that bled into March as well, uh, and uh, at these delegations, uh, the actions and just the tone in the room would just get so riley, people were um, yelling derogatory comments towards community members who were present, queer community members and their allies. Uh, and uh, at least we can assume that these folks are parents because they're adults at a Catholic school board meeting. Right. If you don't have a child at the Catholic school board, then what are you doing there, right? Um, but uh, it was just quite shocking, and that bled into then uh, the April and May meetings where there were different delegations from community members who were trying to um, speak up against uh, you know those voices and bled into the debate about the pride flag being risen uh, and the continuation of that, police having to be called in to remove people from the gallery. Shocking. Uh, and also that um, uh, just that behavior continuing outside and intimidating folks within the chamber too. It was uh, it was quite shocking to be there. I was there for two of those meetings uh, through the latter half of uh, you know the, these debates and you know, these meetings. And were there um, students there? There were students there, yeah. I can't, in, like, that must have been terrifying for them. In May and June, yeah. The, uh, May in particular, there were students who delegated. Uh, they had done such a great job, Patrick and Isio, um, such a wonderful job of uh, gathering community data, of making a really informed presentation and providing that to the trustees. And um, I couldn't be more proud of, you oh, know, of these students. They just did such a, a, an inspiring. incredible job. So inspiring. Um, but yeah, people were just yelling at them right before they talked. It also didn't help that uh, ahead of their presentation there was uh, someone with a very evangelical perspective that was uh, sharing their story um, of how they uh, became a person of faith but then had some really radical things to say at the end that was uh, directed towards the community. It was just an awful environment. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So thinking about those students and their experience, um, you know, where the schools are not safe, lots of areas not safe, what mm -hmm. does Pride do for them? Uh, Pride is a platform and the ability to gather with your community and just to celebrate who you are uh, and also for our allies to come in to uplift us and to create space for that as well. Um, at, uh, at work recently, we just had a month of um, kind of personal spotlights and, you know, for me, I answered, you know, what Pride means to me and for me, it's still just the act of visibility and the act of protest as well. So um, it, for you know, Pride, it means different things for different people, but for young people who are coming out and just discovering themselves, I remember what it was like for me yeah. to attend your first Pride or to attend your first themed uh, event is just so special. It means that you're a part of the community. You feel more um, accepted. You be, feel more affirmed in your identity. And uh, it can be a life-changing experience and life-saving experience for many. Yeah, I was at um, Owen Sound Pride last oh, wow. week. Um, and it was phenomenal. There, you know, I think there were thousands of people there. Uh, the, the parade was very short. It, there was a lot of people in the parade, but the parade mm -hmm. itself was only about four blocks. took about 15 minutes um, to walk. Um, but just lots of joy. There were, a call went out to the community because they were expecting to have some protesters, um, you know, anti-queer pro protesters. 
um, but there wasn't any. And it was just to see the young people there was just phenomenal. Yeah, um, and similar in York Region as well, our festival, you know, our parade route isn't that long as well, but just thousands of people show up, and it's just, it's such a wonderful feeling to be in a Pride Festival, whether it's in Toronto and York Region, uh, you know, I think small town Pride certainly has a different feel to it, and uh, I encourage folks to get out to these yes. small Pride festivals too, yes. because you, uh, there's such a misconception that, uh, you know, of rural communities that you just can't find community or queer community in these spaces, but you can, and uh, a Pride Festival is the best way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And then speaking about how faith can be such a support for creating safe space, you know, in a lot of these rural areas, it is the churches that are, you know, connecting with the, the young queer community and who are providing safe space, you know, funding the pride events, that kind of thing. So when we look at the Catholic school board, we're definitely not saying that we want to have God taken out of everything mm-hmm. at all. We say that we want to have the, the idea that, you know, that God welcomes all um, even those who don't believe in God, of course, mm-hmm. of course. Okay, Tristan. Well, thanks so much. We're gonna you're gonna stay with us here. We're gonna shift gears a little bit. Uh, we're gonna take a musical break. This is the Radical Reverend Show on CIUT FM eighty nine point five. When we come back, we're gonna have a panel talk about the election. that train again I was wondering where she's been Left out satin past eight I'm so glad she won't be late now Here comes that train again Down the hill That white steam cloud Brings me back to days gone by When I watches them right by Now here comes the train again Hear the whistle, see the smoke Down the track I
Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show here on CIUT 89.5 FM. You were listening to, we were all listening to the Grievous Angels. Here comes that train again. This is kind of what I was thinking about this morning. You know, here comes that train again with the social progressives, uh, you know, getting flashback to the 90s when there was quite a bit of optimism, tons of challenges, uh, but quite a bit of optimism. And so that's what we're going to talk about now. Is it a new train? Is it an old train? Is it a powerful train? And here on the panel, I want to welcome the Rad Rev herself, Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Chris. Uh, great to be on the show. Oh, thanks so much for coming on your own show. And of course, we have Tristan Kuhlman, who's with us for this panel, and Riley Mormon. Sherry, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Is this a revolution? Um, well, it, you know, there's this old saying in politics, it's not the despair that gets you, it's the hope. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, uh, so I, I don't. It's, it's neither despairing. It is hope. Um, uh, but I mean, it's still. You know, Olivia Chow, I'm a big supporter. I've known her for a long time. She's been an ally to queers for forever, and uh, certainly the pick of the pops for this election, um, without a doubt. And it shows where Toronto is at. Toronto is, has absolutely rejected the right wing, yay, right. Um, and absolutely embraced uh, progression, yay. Uh, but it's an uphill. It's going to be an uphill climb for her. I mean, remember the city is bankrupt essentially, and a lot of our funding should come from the provincial government. And Doug Ford has said that he will work with Olivia Chow, so it's up to all of us to keep his feet to the fire there and uh, get him to uphold that particular promise. He's broken some others um, to actually work with her to fund what needs to be funded. And uh, so there's that piece, as well as the federal government, of course, around housing. Um, and she was, you know, understandably vague about some things. You know, she was on our show um, uh, talking and uh, about where the revenue is coming from, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, do we need some tax increases on those who can afford it? Absolutely. Um, that takes some backbone, and she's got to win over the rest of council. So that's her first order of the day. I thought it was really encouraging that her speech last night was very conciliatory. Yes, um, it was. Reaching yeah. out, and I thought that was good. Um, because the strong, she said she won't use the strong mayor powers, and quite frankly, they're not much of a plus because really the way that they're written um, is kind of your you, the strong mayor powers is only if you want to support what's happening in provincial government, right. um, which she may not want to do. So, um, but anyway, she's got some work on her hands. So I'll stop there. But yes, absolutely a cause for celebration um, and. Uh, and yeah, and uh, over and overcame a horrible smear campaign. Which, yeah, well, you know, you know a lot about that, don't you, Sherry? Way to go, way to go, Olivia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, she was, you know, on the CBC this morning. She was talking about uh, the importance of having a, unite, a united city, all working together. Um, so we hope that that will that will be happening. Tristan, what is your take? Uh, I Pleasantly surprised. I think it's great, um, you know, I, I echo Sherry's sentiments that we've rejected the radical right. Uh, you know, that my biggest concern was Mark Saunders going through the campaign, and he had such a solid uh, uh, campaign that was really professionally run, I would say, and really great at getting that message out. But hopefully, but I was in, I was really concerned that that message would really permeate through the city uh, and kind of taking advantage of the sentiment that's out there right now, especially against the queer community. Uh, and I'm just so happy to see Olivia win. I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic uh, as well. 
well between her and Queen's Park and seeing what happens there. And she's made a lot of promises too. And just looking at her platform, it's going to be very difficult to keep that, especially in the financial climate that the city's in right now. But uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of promises there. There's a lot of hope and a lot of uh, folks and communities that are depending on that. So hopefully, uh, all three levels of government recognize that and try to get as much done as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And Riley, what about you? I am not sure. I am celebrating because <laughs> there is always a reason to celebrate when Tory or a Tory loses. Um, right. But <laughs> yeah, capital I, T or yeah. <laughs> I am a little more hesitant, I would say. I am not sure. We were talking about this just a little bit earlier, but I am not sure that Olivia Chow will do enough to actually offset just the direction we're going and the momentum that this that city the train already has. has. Exactly. Yeah. I'm there is a lot of things she could do, but the way that she's been advertising a lot of her campaign and things like that, she hasn't necessarily talked about them and her specifically not talking about things, I think gives you just as big of a picture as her talking about things. She hasn't mentioned anything about the police budget. Um, she hasn't mentioned anything about really moving housing into affordable housing because that's just a signing a piece of paper, essentially. You don't, she's talked about building it, but you don't need to build it. You can just make it affordable housing. Right, right. And so you suggested that one question we should be asking here today is how progressive is Olivia Chow? Yeah, I'm. Uh, she's obviously very progressive, but uh, as we were talking about this, we were just chatting a little bit before, but it's very early 2000s, 90s progressive <laughs> instead of the climate we're at, which is like homeless shelters are completely full, food banks are empty every week. A third of all the homeless people in the city are students, which is something that affects me very personally. I know students who go to this university who are homeless. They like they just sleep in faculty buildings at night. And that's horrifying. And I really am glad she won because it means we're definitely not going to go faster down that hill. But I am really curious and hesitant about how much she's actually going to put the brakes and move us in the right direction. It's interesting. I'm noticing a generational uh, not not divide, I would say, but generational perspectives on it. I was very interested in Chloe Brown's uh, platform. And when she talked, she talked a lot about how we don't need to keep talking or finding out what the roots of poverty are. That was something we should keep in the 90s, the early 2000s, that now it's time for a different type of action that older activists maybe don't understand. Sherry, you want to respond to that? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, listen, I'm on Riley's side for sure. Um, I mean, I, you know, we've seen NDP governments drop the ball. I mean, we were starting with Bob Ray um, in this province. But I mean, look at the disaster that was Oregon and D.C. and the you know disaster, quite frankly, I'd argue that of Rachel Notley. Um, not to mention the fact that federally, I mean, we could have done a lot better than get $650 for, you know, dental care for people that need it. I mean, there's no question. So, um uh, the, you know, the question is, and, and quite frankly, Pride, we just all lived through the Pride weekend, which was enormous. I, for the first time this year, I marched in the alternative Pride, which, by the way, got thousands out. Um, uh, yeah, we had Tom Hooper on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah that, that sounded like an amazing event. Anti-corporate 
Um, so I mean that that it's really interest it's really important and 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 interesting um, times that we live in to keep um, her feet like her not only Doug Ford but Olivia Chow too you know keep uh, keep moving forward and to move forward means to move to the left um, and like you Chris yeah Chloe Brown had some some brilliant ideas. Um, they're very simple ideas, like Raleigh said, that you could just put into place. And quite frankly, the city has lots of land, um, so there's that, um, and they do have resources, um, you know, and they can raise, you know, taxes, um, especially on the more expensive properties, um, which she has said she will do. Will that, will that, you know, be enough? Probably not. So again, all of these issues are just a question of continuing to push, push, push. Um, and, I, you know, just this is a problem with the NDP generally, I think, is that, um, you know, we're try- we've hated liberals so long we've become them, you know. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and but I we're think good we've liberals, stop, right? We've got to good, stop good doing liberals? that. We've got to stop doing that. We've got to move to the left. Left, I mean, left, laughter. not a bad word. Bernie Saunders used it, you know. Um, if Bernie Saunders can say he's a socialist, you know. I mean, so, again, I think it, the writing's on the wall. The center's falling out. Very clear. Last poll we saw um, on the federal government that 81% of people want a change of government federally. This should strike fear into people's hearts right about now because that means probably a polyev government unless somebody gets going fast yeah. soon. Um, so, I mean, again, the center's falling out. Politics is going left and right. We need to be on the left. Amen, sister. Amen. This is the Radical Reverend Show. I'm Christine Smaller, and I have this amazing panel of guests, and we're talking about Olivia Chow. Tristan, I saw you nodding your head there. When What were you nodding your head to there? Yeah, um, when uh, Sherry there was mentioning Polyev, I'm, uh, I'm particularly very concerned about what the next federal election is going to, um, what that outcome is going to be. I feel like the the liberals have left themselves very vulnerable. Um, they're a government that's really tired. They've been in power for a very long time, uh, and um, they're operating like a tired government. Uh, and, uh, you know, though trying to be influenced by the NDP and trying to move a little bit more to the left and really trying to take up their ground as well on some issues, um, it, it's leaving them vulnerable in some other areas that, question, that Canadians are questioning. And, you know, it's hard not to think about, uh, you know, the stories around Chinese interference and, and other items, too, um, that have left them vulnerable in some really big talking points. So, uh, you know, Polyev is really taking up space in those areas and uh, is really speaking to people in a way that they're connecting with. And, uh, and unfortunately, in other areas, too, it's going to really threaten uh, a lot of progress that has been made and a lot of support for the community. We've seen that um, in how Ford has run his government over the last five years as well and what that's meant for, you know, funding in particular when you get down to it with uh, queer community um, supports in York Region. You know, our funding's been cut for about five years now, and that coincidentally runs with the length of his government. So uh, it's uh, it's very concerning on all of those points and uh, really hoping that, uh, you know, as we continue to move to the left on things or try to push uh, those issues as much as possible, and we try to remind people of what we've accomplished over the last few years, and of course a lot more can be done, uh, that they see the value in what's happening socially uh, and uh, that we continue the fight to, to keep moving in that way right right all right now I want to ask each of you what changes could she make that would impact the people of this city Riley why don't we start with you what what's what's one or two things that she should be starting on right now I think massive impacts and there's been a lot of news about this um she could 
freeze the police budget or, right. you know, maybe move down the defund, largest. Defund, maybe? Yeah, de- defund, maybe, I don't know, move the police budget of the single most overfunded police department in this entire continent, which is horrifying because our neighbor to the south has just a military as an occupying force yeah. as police. And we somehow give our police more money than them. Um, she can do that. She could lower transit fares if she wanted. She could, I think one of the more important things is congestion. And there's been a lot of news about that recently with the uh, new uh, Ontario line subway. Just there's street parking on those streets. Make, get rid of some of the cars in downtown, improve congestion, have the gardener at surface level. And a lot of it is just based on have people actually taxed and this is a lot of her campaign was talking about property taxes or not talking about property taxes but tax people based on how much it costs to provide services to them instead of just how much their home is worth because if all of our homes are worth two million dollars and you're being taxed for a two million dollar home but you just own two apartments downtown that cost essentially nothing to run services to that's very very different than having a full house at the edge of the city. Are you getting at the 905-416 divide there a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's something to talk about. Yeah, those are great suggestions. Sherry, what do you think? Um, well, housing is, is, is critical. Um, so at the, at the city could do, I mean, really step up on that front in major ways. Uh, they could pretty cheaply build mod- modular housing on land they already own that's not being used. Um, they could uh, work um, really across the board to, to, this is provincial, but to try to bring in real rent control. Um, and they can do that in subtle ways. Um, inclusionary zoning, which you know the, the, I've fought for years at Queen's Park for, the city can sort of do that. I mean, they can certainly fight back against development that doesn't have it and make their lives a lot more difficult before they build. Uh, the other thing that's really, uh, I think, shocking is our main streets now in downtown Toronto. I mean, how long can a property be just left to rot because investors think it's a good investment? Um, and now, the occupancy tax, the lack of occupancy tax that Tory brought in was way too little. Um, we need a really robust uh, tax on properties that are not being used for retail and not being used as the way they were designed, but are simply being left to fall apart. Our streets are filled with these properties, that some of them that have sat like that for decades. Um, I would even go so far as, why don't we expropriate property? If the landlords aren't willing to fix them up, do the minor repairs that are necessary, um, and they get notice after notice, then they lose their property. And guess what? You'll be sued. Wonderful. I mean, look at Doug Ford. He's sued over everything, and they just carry on. You know? He doesn't seem to mind. Um, so, so have a real <laughs> backbone where, where housing is concerned. That would be number one. Awesome. Tristan, if Olivia was right here, what would you ask her to get down to work on? Oh, I think before she begins the work on a lot of these issues she's talked about, we got to find the money. Um, you know, and she's got to really focus on maybe things that don't require that much funding to get done right away. Whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Riley mentioned earlier, just the transfer of um, um, of homes into affordable housing or rental units, and kind of starting to make those changes that are going to have a huge impact. But then also on the big ideas that she's got, um, where's the money coming from? I really like Riley's idea there about um, uh, taxing based 
on services uh, because you got you got a lot of suburbs here in Toronto. You got a lot of homes, and um, you know, are they really paying their fair share when it comes to the services that they receive that they might take for granted? Especially transit. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah transit snow removal like oh my gosh and talk about snow removal that can be a challenge down here in downtown sometimes too um it, but uh it, the big question with these big ideas is how you're going to pay for it and uh you know you can make those little changes here and there um uh, that can have an immediate impact but she's got to figure out uh, the money situation right away and uh, i think increasing uh, those taxes but maybe trying to think about a different strategy there might work really well uh if she does kind of tax based on property value and the value of a home at least something's coming in and hopefully that gets reevaluated down the road but um we got to get the money in oh great advice i really think olivia should hire the three of you to uh, work with her for the next three years they might even get her reelected. all right we've only got a couple minutes left now there was no talk about climate emergency, about immigration, about the woeful uh, support for immigrants in the city, other really big picture uh, issues that are on all of our minds. So just briefly, why not? If I can take that one, I think um, Olivia's campaign has been an example of what a lot of people on the left feel like they have to do right now because we're starting to see the shift of um, you know politics and people kind of really embracing folks on the right and at least the rhetoric that's there uh, and associated with it. And so I felt that she had to run a campaign that was kind of a little more center-based than she probably, but then we've known her for really, and that mm -hmm. did get her elected. But um, you know, I think that's going to be a big challenge is now kind of balancing that. Uh, Aaron O'Toole had a similar challenge when he was running and uh, you know trying to kind of pull things a little bit more to the left afterwards. But and when and it we was... know how that went exactly, yeah. So. Um, you know, it's a question of whether will Olivia, you know, bring out those leftist roots and really uh, try to create change, or is she going to kind of stay true to that campaign? And I think that's really going to be uh, what uh, the general public really uh, keeps an eye on for over the next couple of years. And unfortunately, that's going to be where the vote goes to. Right. Riley, in 30 seconds. Yeah, I just think it's really important for her to keep left because if you just in politics and in general, if you're pushing one way, no matter what anyone else does, it drags everyone to compromise. And right. for a long, long the time, C word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for a long, long time, leftists have been compromising by going right. I just yeah. want to see a mainstream political party keep a course, say all their objectives, keep it and force other people to compromise. Yeah. Sherry, I'm going to give you the last minute, and I know that you're going to want to echo what, what Riley and Tristan have said. Yeah. Well, and, and all great ideas and absolutely doable ideas, too. Um, I just want to give a, a, a bit of a positive spin at the end here. Uh, really glad that she got elected, and I want to hold out talking about immigrants for the first time in our city. Think about that. It's shocking. The first time in our city we have elected a person of color who Very is important. a generation Third immigrant woman. and who's a woman. So just and an ally, by the way, of the queer community. So, so I mean, I, I a positive spin there. Yeah, that's at least a big step forward. And absolutely, good point. We are celebrating. We are celebrating the results of this election. I mean, I'm giving thanks to God. She was certainly gave thanks in my prayers this morning that Olivia Chow is our new mayor. And we are excited and we are hopeful. And I really appreciated the campaign of hope that she 
she she had too. Well, thank you so much to the three of you, uh, Tristan Kuhlman, Riley Mormon, Sherry DeNovo. You're a wonderful panel here. Uh, and join us next week. We're going to talk about student revolutions. This is the Radical Reverend Show on CIUT FM. And my name is Christine Smaller. And keep up the revolution. The Grind is Toronto's new politics.